Father, we thank you for this morning, and Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, and, and, and Lord, that uh, you would help me, Lord, um, be able to get a few ounces of the, across of just the depth of, of what's before us this morning, and, and Lord, that we could come to know you in a, in a better way, Father, I pray, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been months uh, since we've been in the Gospel of John. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's someone here that will tell me how many months, but uh, it's, it's been a long time since we've been in the Gospel of John. And so um, we come to John chapter 14, which is, is a, just an incredible chapter. It's a go-to chapter uh, for me as a pastor, when I when go to speak at uh, at someone's funeral, someone's homecoming, uh, when you go to the hospital, it's 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 well worn. When people are dealing with troubles uh, of their heart, it's 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 the the depth of as Chris reminded us of how much that the Lord loves us and how much He is for us in the midst. Of this life, and so to kind of do a restart of um, John, I think it's important to recognize. Uh, let me be just a little snarky. Did Jesus teach verse by verse? What? No. Did Paul? Oh, from what time to time he did. Yeah, but but Jesus taught topically, didn't he? And he had long sessions with the boys because they were a little slow. And what we see in the Gospels, thematically, what we see is five long, some would say seven because they like the number of perfection, but I think realistically what we see is five sit-downs that Jesus had with the boys over a long period of time. Do you remember the first one? It was called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talked to, the, to his disciples and the crowds, you know, about the values of the kingdom of God. And we, we see him expressing, blessed are the... Yeah, there's lots of them. There's at least seven, right? <laughs> and after the Beatitudes, what do we see thematically in Jesus sit down with the guys? We see the calling of the disciples. We see the calling of the apostles. We see their commissioning. We see them send it, being sent out, and then they come back and say, well, you know, we, it doesn't work for us, Jesus. And he says, you know, and he calls them and reminds them that the greatest things happen through prayer, and the greatest, the greatest miracle is a heart that's one for the kingdom of God. And so we see the Beatitudes. We see... The Sermon on the Mount, we see the commissioning and sending of the disciples. We see the parables, all the parables that Jesus did. And then we see Jesus talking about the church and some of the parables about the church that Jesus expresses to the disciples. And then we come to the last one, which is Jesus' farewell to the disciples. It's his last words to them. It's that, that, that parting words. Like if you've ever been and sat with someone 
sat next to someone that has a few hours or a day that they share their deepest, deepest joys, deepest pain. You know, one of the first jobs I had uh, when, when I was in college was I was a, a nursing assistant at uh, Winchester Hospital on 4 West with Mrs. Brooks was the charge nurse. You say, how do you remember that, Conway? That's probably about 100 years old for you, isn't it? Well, she made such an impression on me. These people would be at their last days, and she'd say to me, Eddie, why don't you just go sit with them? She, she knew I desired to be a pastor. And in those moments, people share the deepest things, their greatest joys and their deepest sorrows. Jesus' last words are the context of John chapter 14. But it's a long talk. Jesus' last words are the Olivet Discourse. Starts in chapter 13, doesn't it? And it concludes, it goes through John chapter 14, John chapter 15, you want to finish with me? John chapter, and some would say most of John 17. And it all happens in one night. One night. Now, because we love, and I, I think it's, it's, it's the best tool to accomplish the goal of biblical education for people, we go through it how? Verse by verse. How long do you think it's going to take me to go through chapter 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17? Be nice to me. Five months. Any other takes? Six years. There we go. <laughs> but Jesus shared all of this in one night. In one night. What did he share with them? Take a look at John chapter 14. He says, if you know the verse, share it with me. Let not, if you believe, oh, y'all, oh, well, we got we to gotta bring back the tape. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Why did he say that? Why did he address their hearts? Well, to understand a verse, you have to put it in its what? Oh, you guys are going to be Bible scholars Bible heroes. Understand a verse, you put it in its context. And when we go back to chapter 13, thematically, it's all about one thing. Jesus tells the boys, I'm leaving. And they're like, what? Yeah, take a look at chapter 13, verse 1. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And when Jesus shares to the guys, I'm out of here, he's going to share more, all of their hopes, all of their aspirations, all of their messianic kind of vision of their life, like, oh, I'm going to sit on the right. I'm going to sit on the left. King Jesus is going to deliver us from the Romans, and we're going to take over, and we'll teach those Romans a thing or two about justice. 
right? Not only that does Jesus say, I'm leaving, but he begins to unpackage the pridefulness in their heart by washing their feet, and Peter does what? <laughs> I'll have none of that. I have stinky feet. You're not washing them. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And Peter goes, oh, wash all of me. Give me a shower. He says, oh, you're already washed. And Peter is like clueless of what Jesus is trying to tell him. It goes on. It makes, you say, this is beginning to sound like my life. I don't understand what God's doing. It's beginning to feel like something is touching my heart, like, like there's fear that comes into me. Is Jesus with me? Is he not? And not, he goes after he tells them about the feet washing, he goes, he looks at them and says, and one of you is going to betray me. And what do the boys do? They all look, is it me? Is it, is it you? John leans in. Oh, it's the one that dips in the cup with me. Come, look at 13. Some of you are doubting me. I can see it in your eyes. Saying, no, that can't be true. That's creating a mess. It's creating tension. It's creating disappointment. It's creating lost ex expectations. Jesus, it couldn't happen. Take a look at 13, verse 31. And on top of all that, Jesus says, if it wasn't bad enough for the boys, Jesus says, now I'm going to give you a new commandment. And the disciples are like, oh, aren't the 586? Oh, aren't, aren't, don't we have enough commandments? And then he drills down. Look at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, remember thematically, it's about Jesus is leaving. Simon Peter, we're in chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Now, that's a reasonable question. If Jesus is saying that he's leaving and all your messianic hopes are gone and, you know, you're thinking one's going to sit on the right and one's going to sit on the left. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterwards. And Peter is what? If you could dial into his emotions, he's what? He's perplexed. He doesn't understand. He, he feels in his heart that he has given absolutely everything. He spent three and a half years with Jesus, 24-7, and he can't get a straight answer. Philip's going to have that. I thought we'd get to Philip, so you can just take a deep breath. We're not going to make it. I thought we'd get to Thomas. Another deep breath. Say, oh, we're going to get out of here before noon. Don't take a breath. Philip's going to say to him, look, just stop it. Just show us the Father. Just show us. That'll be enough. Come back to the text. We're in 13. It says, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will do what? 
I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me, what? Three times. Our text is John chapter 14, verse 1. Why did Jesus address their troubled hearts? The context speaks to us. It shows us that their emotions, it shows us their expectations. It shows us that all that they had hoped to happen, all that they had hoped Jesus to do, it's all gone because Jesus is leaving. Now, you know the rest of the story, right? But they didn't. They are in a place much like you and I are from time to time that we hoped, we wanted, we prayed, we did all we could, we laid down our life, we thought, and there is this sense of disappointment, impending doom, chaos. That's where, that's where the guys are at. That's where I've been from time to time in life. That, that's where you've been. And what Jesus does is that in the midst of all of this, he's focused on them, focused on equipping them, focused on helping them, focused on giving them the tools that they need to get through it. Not to remove it, right? But to get through it. And he does this because he loves them. Come back to 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved them, his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and the translation is better, is that he loved them without limits. In the midst of those times in your life, been there, you've been there, is what anchors us, is the love of God, is that he loves us without limits. No matter what has come into your life, it has come through the fingers of God, and he will not sell you out he will not abandon you. He will stand with you because as Hebrews 13 says, he will never, you can finish it, he will never, you got it. Why, why does he address the troubled heart? Because that's where the disciples are at. And that's where you and I are at from time to time. When we look at verse 1, now, I'll get myself in trouble here a little bit because I am, I am not an English major. And, and many of you know that. You have mercy on me. Matter of fact, I didn't learn phonics until I got to seminary because they didn't teach phonics when I went through the new space age, new curriculum, and new math. I'm a, I'm part, I'm a generation that is completely lost when it comes to phonics and algebra. 
When I, when I took algebra, I said, what? Like, so we're supposed to know, visualize lines in space? When we look at this verse, there's two imperatives. An imperative means a what? A command. There's an indicative, which means a statement of fact. And Jesus gives them two imperatives and indicative to help them move through the difficulties that they're going to face. And the, the insight, the instruction that the Lord gives them, that's what he wants to give us. So that when we face life, most of our prayers, I mean, I know, I, I mean, my prayers is like, Lord, deliver me. And what's the Lord's answer? No, I, I just think I'll walk through it with you. Jesus says to them this, we're in 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. The first imperative is, let not your heart be troubled. But it doesn't quite, doesn't quite grasp, I think, what at least the ESV misses it. What Jesus is saying to the disciples, and what I would suggest is a better translation to the disciples, is this. Stop. Stop. Let your heart rest. Stop. Quiet your heart. Why would he say that? If you've ever been in the flux of life, stop. Just stop. Stop trying to, stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to stop. 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 Just stop. Don't try to manipulate your way out of it. Stop. And, 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 and let your heart rest. One insight we can know from our own life out of that is that the reason for stopping is that we can't fix anything out here. The only thing we can fix in this life, is in here. And if we don't cease from our activity, we will, well, what has happened in your life? You don't have to tell me. What has happened in your life? I'd tell you what's happened in my life. It just got worse. I made, instead of having a little mess, <laughs> and a much larger mess. And so in the midst of their confusion, in the midst of their worry, in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their confusion, Jesus says this, and I think tone's important. He says, just stop, boys. And, and let, let your heart rest. The second part of the verse shows 
how that's possible. The indicative is a statement of fact, which is the next phrase. He says, boys, you believe in God. You, you've accepted God. You believe in the invisible, the all-powerful, the almighty. You believe. You believe that God appeared to Moses at the burning bush. You believe. You believe that God rescued his people from, from, from Pharaoh and brought them through the Red Sea. You believe. You believe I led them through the wilderness. The cloud by day, the fire by night. You believe. Even when your life is in turmoil, you, you have experienced God. That's you and I. That is you and I because we believe it is like David. David's life <laughs> was one turmoil after another, much of it to his own making. But I love David's prayers. I love his psalms because they help me. And one of, the, one of the psalms that I love in particular is Psalm 27. Some of you just about got this memorized. But Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14. David writes this. I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living and 14. says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. And wait for the Lord. That's these guys. They believed. And Jesus says this to them. Second imperative. I know you believe, so believe in me and trust me. And then Jesus is going to tell them why they can trust him. Why that he's never going to leave them. Jesus is going to begin sharing with them the future that Jesus has for them, that they think all is lost, and yet through the cross all is going to be won. Jesus is going to go back to the Father. They think we're going to be an orphan in next week or in the week after. Some would say the year. We're going to know that we're not orphans. He sent the helper. He sent the paracletos to walk through life with us, to help us. And even when we don't know what to pray for, that inner working of the Spirit makes intercession for us and shows us how to pray. Take a look at the next verse. You can trust me. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, 
would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? Now, I like the King James Version. How many like the King James Version? Yes? Amen. Say amen. Yeah, amen. Because we all want a mansion, right? That's not quite the best translation of the word. Mansions came from St. Jerome, who was in charge of, like, all of Africa. And they had all these Latin trans, uh, translations in all of Africa. So Jerome was charged to bring it all together to one Latin that's called the Vulgate. And he chose the word mansions. And then in 1611 comes along, King Jimmy you know, says, oh, I like that mansion word, so we're going to stay with that. We're going to go with that, right? ESV's, you know, much, much smarter than the King James, you know? So they say, it's rooms. Gone ahead to prepare a room for you. Well, the real say, or what I would say, is the best word choice is apartment. Say, what? Are you nuts? Yeah, God, God is preparing an apartment for you. Because why? Because contextually, when we, when we look at the Bible times, when someone... When someone got married, they moved home. And they literally, if they were living in a tent, they put up a divider. Now, I know this doesn't thrill you guys that are getting married in July. But they put up a divider and they just added to the tent. And if they had a home, a building, they would add on. So a very contemporary way of looking at this text is that Jesus is as a place for you. It's just like a triple-decker in Medfa. He's got a place for you. But that's not really, even that is not the thrust of the text. Jesus is not just making a physical mansion. Jesus is just not making a room. Jesus is just not making an apartment. He's just not making, but he's making room for us, if we could say this, in his heart to live with him under the Father's roof in the Father's presence, in the Father's house forever. And the worry and the anxiety that the disciples felt about no longer seeing Jesus, he's, Jesus makes them this personal guarantee that there's a place for you in my Father's house. And it's a place where we will have fellowship and we will continue to grow together.
he says, if it wasn't so, why would, I, why, why, why would I tell you? And then there's another promise, which we wait. Come back to the text with me. In my father's house are many, well, it's hard to say apartments, isn't it? Yeah, it's a town, no. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Can you connect with the intimacy? Can you connect with their despair? As Jesus said in 13, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them without limit, and I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Do you see that? And where I am, you may be also. When we look at a troubled heart, a troubled heart is one full of anxiety and worry is often a response to events which are outside of our control or events which simply overwhelm our ability to process or to understand. Let me offer you three observations from our three verses. Because I know there's at least 20 troubled hearts in this room. Say, wow, you have discerning of spirits tell me but in pastoring for so many years I know that to be true there are many troubled hearts and so how do you how do you respond to that let me offer you three things to think about the first thing is to acknowledge the place that you're in to stop. Peter did that. Next week, we're going to see Thomas did that. And in the same week, Philip does that. And what does Jesus speak to them when they're honest and have questions? He says to them, look, you know the Father, and because you know the Father, because you believe and you've seen me, you know God. And so trust me, Jesus says to them. Philip's awesome. He says, hey, look, <laughs> this is too confusing me. Just, let's just have a burning bush right here. But the first step is to acknowledge your troubled heart. The second thing I would encourage you when I look at these text here is that when we look at the imperatives let not your heart be troubled believe that there's when our heart is troubled we need to accept that the only thing we can really change in life is our own heart you can't change anything out here and so to ask Jesus to come into our heart, to ask Jesus to comfort us, 
to ask Jesus to forgive our sin, to ask Jesus to heal the brokenness of our heart. And the last thing, at least for today, is that we can access the promises of God through prayer. That we can go to Him. Why? Because He's a good God who'll never leave us, never abandon us, never leave us as orphans. That He'll send the Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, the one that comes alongside of us, that's coming, the helper that will help us walk through those difficulties so that through those difficulties we will find our joy and our peace in the midst of the storm because our God has pitched his tent among us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and we are his beloved children as John writes in 13.1 having loved his own who were in the world he loved them without limit see to have a troubled heart is neither good nor bad because we all have things that come into our life but the two imperatives and the one indicative they show us the way forward is stop quiet, still our heart, recognize that we are the redeemed of God. We are those that he has wooed and called to himself. And the second command is in the midst of that, simply to trust him. If you are here this morning and, and that's you, you have that, that troubled heart, I'd encourage you to let someone pray for you this morning. That after we close, to come on up front and you can share as little or, or as much as you want. And just say, look, my heart is like, like I'm wigged out. Can you pray for me? And we'd be glad to do that. And one of the healing things that we have in our midst that we'll celebrate next is the Lord's table as often as you gather together, do this in remembrance of me. Why? So that we know tangibly that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, that if our heart is troubled, believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table this morning.